Today on The Ticker Tapes, we hear from Thanieth, who was diagnosed with a potentially life-threatening heart condition at age 14. It hasn't always been easy for Thanieth to talk openly about her condition, but when her older brother died of a cardiac arrest at age 26, she found the courage to speak more freely about her health. He was, I think, married for nearly, not even a year. Yeah, he was nearly married. I remember, you know, we were preparing for his wedding and all of a sudden, you know, Bilal's no more. Yeah. Um, we were very close because I remember after mom dying, he was really, really supportive. He was like a mother. I could tell him everything and anything. Yeah. From the British Heart Foundation, I'm Bill Snadden. On the ticker tapes, we hear from people living with heart and circulatory conditions. On this episode, Thanieth tells me about the inherited condition that has claimed the lives of her mum and brother, and how she'll talk to her two kids if they too are diagnosed with the condition. Before we jump into the conversation, just a quick note on some of the medical terminology used in this episode. When Thanieth mentions her cardiomyopathy diagnosis, she is referring to hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And when talking about the inherited heart condition in her family, she is also referring to hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. I mention this because there are different types of cardiomyopathies, some of which are inherited and some are not. And with that, here's the conversation. Thanias, can you take me back to that moment when you're in school and your younger brother Hamza collapses? I understand this set in motion a train of events which led to your diagnosis. So obviously with me and Hamza, we went to different schools and I remember coming home and mum was like, um, Hamza was taken into hospital today and we were like, why? And because he collapsed in school playgrounds. Um, and then at that point, obviously when the doctors checked him over, they realised that he's got cardiomyopathy. It was at the children's hospital in Birmingham and then they told mum that they think it's in hereditary, so it's genetic, so they need to check all the kids. So one by one they gave our appointments. I remember when I went, it was just me and mum. Mm-hmm. And that's how they discovered that we all got cardiomyopathy. is from Hamza. Mm-hmm. How old were you at this stage? I would think I was about 14 and Hamza was 12. Mm-hmm. And your mum yeah. was diagnosed during that testing as well? She was diagnosed, no, she was diagnosed way before okay. we were diagnosed. I can't remember exactly, but I always knew, like, I don't know whether it was after her stroke or before her stroke, but she did have that heart condition mm-hmm. for a while. And she mm-hmm. did have a pacemaker as well. Yeah, that's uh, HCM or, or hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you noticed some symptoms of this uh, before you were diagnosed. Is that correct? I personally didn't. I didn't have any symptoms. Hamza did, but I didn't. I was normal growing up. It was just after having Aisha when I fell ill. Mm-hmm. After after my second pregnancy, that's when I kept getting out of breath, palpitations. I was in and out, constantly in and out of hospital with chest pains and palpitations and just getting out of breath. I remember when I was pregnant with Aisha, I couldn't sit straight. I couldn't lie down because... I couldn't breathe properly. I had to sleep sitting. Mm. That's how bad it got. Hmm. So when you were yeah. younger and running around the schoolyard, you were um, fine? No, I didn't. There was no symptoms and I was actually fine. It was normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, can you tell me about your mum? And I understand she sadly passed away at age 42. Um, can you tell me about your mum and, and how uh, the condition expressed itself in her? I can't remember exactly when she was diagnosed with cardiomyopathy, whether it was after having us children or before. Um, 
but I remember when she had a stroke. We were very young at that point. You know, I don't know if we were 16 or 17, we were quite young. We got a phone call that mom's had a stroke. All sorts went through our mind and it was just like, oh no, is she going to be normal? Is she going to be better? And then after that, um, I remember she had a defibrillator implanted just after that. It was a pacemaker, sorry. Mm. Um, She had that fitted and she was generally well. Uh, I mean, she would take a lot of care of herself. She was very bubbly. She was very like, lovely character she'd, she'd always take care of herself she'd know what things to avoid eating she'd always like her diet would be planned out you know she'd have her vegetables her fish her chicken and she'd be very sensible mm. with her diet to just like stay better but she, when she passed away it was she went to turkey it was actually the first and last holiday she had with dad mm. she's always wanted to go abroad so you know dad and her went and then just when she came back two days after she passed away and I remember like when she came back um her lips were very purple Mm. constantly and I I remember she was sitting on the sofa I called the ambulance and they instantly put on oxygen and took her in and it was the second and in that evening we went to see her she held my hand and she wanted some sprite because she loved her fizzy drinks <laughs> so she was like give me some sprite and <laughs> I remember giving her with a straw and then the next morning I remember getting woken up and saying you know mom's passed away mm. and it was it was it was a shock yeah I didn't accept that yeah and tell me about the months following your mum's passing it, it was hard because at that point I had Abdullah who was two um and it was it was hard. I, I fell into depression. Like I didn't know how to cope with it. All of us siblings sort of um, found it really really hard. Mm. Uh, just stuck by together and like went through it. But it was very challenging because it, it was a sudden shock. Like you know, just thinking about it now, like I get tears in my eyes. Thinking, okay, you know, just remembering that morning. It was like the I'd say it's the worst morning of our lives because mm. I still remember running to the hospital, you know, and just seeing mum there, you know, dead. It, it, I just I just can't, when I think about it, it's just like, it was the worst feeling ever. Hmm. And you were able to channel your love for your mum into yeah. some work and fundraising for the British yeah. Heart Foundation some years and later. Can you tell me about uh, that? So mum herself used to donate every monthly to British Heart Foundation. It's a charity that she used to support herself because of obviously her dad had the same heart issues and she would, you know, give money on a monthly basis. And I just thought, you know what, this is something that she was passionate about and I really want to make her proud and support British Heart Foundation because I know how it feels. Because as a family we've been through, you know, we've got cardiomyopathy, we know how bad it is, we know how it affects how badly it affects a family. So the research British Heart Foundation is doing is amazing and I will always continue supporting British Heart Foundation because they've, you know, not only made a difference in so many lives but made a difference in my life as well. Hmm. And I think if she was alive, she'd be really proud. Hmm. And you say that your mum's dad, your grandpa, also had a heart condition but he wasn't ever diagnosed or he was? I'm not quite sure but one thing my mum did say is that he, I think he was diagnosed with the cardiomyopathy, but I don't think at that point, because it was very, we were like about two, three, I think at that point, mm. but it was very not aware, people were not aware of this kind of disease and that it caused sudden death. So he was just cleaning his car outside and the next thing someone knocked on the door, he's, he was on the floor. 
Hmm. You know, we called the paramedics, but he was gone before they tried to resuscitate him, but they couldn't bring him back. Hmm. So obviously at that point they said, obviously he had the condition, but I think my mum always said that there was no awareness of sudden deaths with this condition then. Hmm. I'm not quite sure, but yeah. And can you tell me a bit about hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? It's a condition, it's a genetic condition, which is inherited. It causes the thickening of the heart muscle. The thicker it gets, it affects your heart and it could go into a bad rhythm. Mm -hmm. So that's why we've had the defibrillator implanted. So when it does go into a bad rhythm, it kicks in Mm -hmm. and it resuscitates you. Yeah. Okay, so it can cause minor symptoms like... uh some breathlessness yeah. and, and which is manageable and then it can also cause sudden cardiac arrest. Sudden cardiac arrest, yeah. Okay. It, yeah, you would get it, symptoms are, uh, obviously everybody's symptoms are different to their own. It's For me, it's at getting out of breath. Obviously, since I've had the defibrillator, I'm a lot better mm-hmm. um, and I'm taking my medication on time because being young, we never really took that seriously. Like mm-hmm. I've not had a palpitation for a while, which is again good because I'm having my medication and I've got had the defib. But generally, I feel better in myself. But obviously, if you're gonna, not gonna, you know, take care of yourself and know when your body's tired, you're gonna get ill again with this condition. I think that's something that's really important for you mm. to um, rest your body and listen to your body. Um, it also causes low blood pressure because bisoprol. So yeah, mm-hmm. always okay. have low blood pressure. So what medication are you on and? Um, what does that do for you? So I'm on bisoprolol. Um, mm. I do already suffer from low blood pressure, but it causes it to go even low. So there'll be days when I'm just like exhausted. It's not my fault. It's the medication. So I'll try to drink up water mm. and take that day easy. Yeah, that's okay. the symptoms of it. And you've mentioned in the past the difficulties um, when it comes to talking about ill health and your heart condition in the Asian community. Uh it's a bit of a taboo subject. Can you go into this a bit for me? Yeah, I think for Asians, like of all, I always get this, and I even get this now. And they say, "Oh, you know, you're ill." Or then they see as a, I don't know whether they see as a bad stuff, but they'll make you put you down. I still remember when I had my defibrillator implanted, and someone said, "Well, you know, you're kind of disabled now." And I was like, "No, I'm not. I will, pa- I will go past this." But in the Asian community, there's, you can't just freely talk about illnesses because you're young and you're not meant to be ill. You're mm. meant to be healthy. And if you are ill, you're seen as someone who's who's just like down there or, you know, who's someone. It's hard to explain, but they see you as like a no, you know, someone, oh, you know, she's ill. Mm. Like, you know, she's not normal. She's not the normal Asian Pakistani girl. She's ill. Mm. And it's quite upsetting. Like, we can't talk freely about it or we have to hide it. I remember my mum saying, hide it because no one will marry you. And that that was really, that's really upsetting. Like, if my daughter had it, I would say, no, you take this illness. You you know, you it's not illness. You're special. You have this condition and you're special and you carry it as, as how you like and you don't have mm. to hide it. But I think it's just, there's no awareness, isn't it? Mm. How old mm. were you when your mum said to you don't talk about it because you might not get married when I was diagnosed it was about I think a couple of years after I was diagnosed when I was about 16 or 17 Mm. she said like don't mention it to anyone in the in the family or extended family because like no one's gonna marry you and I I really like you know I stayed quiet I didn't ever tell anyone but it's something that I feel like why should it be hidden like you know this is me I'm ill I'm ill that's it 
you know, it doesn't affect me. Like I see people look down on me still and say, you know, in, in our family and say, you're you're ill. Or they ask me, oh, how's your... Each time I get this question, if I go to a family gathering, how's your health? And I'm like, it's perfect. Like, <laughs> I, I'm good. <laughs> I'm normal. <laughs> oh, you've got the machine, haven't you? They call it the machine. And I'm like, yes, I do. I don't feel it. I don't know it's there. I'm just normal, just like you. Mm. But yeah, they do look down on you, which is... I hope, you know, there's something that stops and, you know, we can empower one another and encourage one another. It's okay if you're ill. It's mm. okay. You're so normal. It sounds like there's some some pity coming at you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And you have, to, you have to work quite hard. I'm sure it can be exhausting at times to twist that around and... and um, it does. And, and make them see that you're okay. Yeah. They don't see the positive. It's always the negative, like... You know, when they see you, the lawyers ask, oh, how's your health? Oh, poor you, you know, you're you're just ill. And I'm like, I'm normal, <laughs> I, you know, I'm okay. But it's never like you'll be okay or, you know, so if you're ill, you know, you're strong, be strong. No, mm. nothing like that, which is upsetting. Um, but that's how it is. That's mm. how we were told to hide it because mm. of these reasons. Maybe mum thought people would look down on us. Maybe that was a reason she said it as well. Like, you know, they'll, you know, she must have had her reasons to say that don't share this. And mm. I'm actually not afraid of, to share it anymore. Mm. Your mum's advice was coming from a good place. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe she wanted to protect us from the world because she knows how people can be. Mm. And yeah. how did you come to your new approach and, and your desire to talk about it publicly and help the, the British Heart Foundation in getting the message out there? I think once I lost my brother, that's when it was like, you know, I want to, I want to, you know, help others. And I, I remember there's so many people that approached me that I have got, you know, some sort of heart condition or health condition saying, you know, you've kind of given us motivation. And that's when I felt like, no, this is not going to stay hidden. My experience will help someone else because it was a point where the doctors told me that we're going to implant a defibrillator. I couldn't find anyone young. I was like trying to find someone who's young, who's had it at a similar age. I wanted mm. to ask them whether they were okay, how was the procedure? Because I was really frightened to have it. I mm. thought it was going to be like an old lady who hmm. wasn't able to play with her kids. All these. How old were stuff. you when the internal defibrillator was fitted? So I was 25, 25. Uh -huh. So I really thought, oh, I won't be able to carry my kids. I won't be able to play with them, do all sorts. And then I did come across this lady. She was a bit older in her late 30s, but she kind of told me, you know, don't worry, it'll be okay. You'll be normal. You can have children after. And she told me all sorts and it did reassure me. So mm. that's when I thought I need to come out of this and, sh you know, sh if some there might be someone out there who's going through a similar situation because you can feel very isolated and confused. Because mm. I was like, shall I have it? Shall I not have it? I know it's bad. We should trust the doctors. But at some point you kind of like think... Am I going to be normal, you know? So that's when I thought, you know, I'm going to come out with it, share it and mm. help others as well. Yeah. Have you got any backlash from talking publicly about your health? No, no. There are people, you know, not, not on the internet. I haven't mm. so far. No one's said anything about the health condition mm. that I can remember. Mm. And have you received but, some praise from people for talking about it? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people are encouraged. But it's something that, because I felt that me showing my, it's making me vulnerable by showing this side as well. Because, mm. you know, the internet is quite a scary place and you get approached by, you know, very bad people. But I think there's a point where I just want to come back on it and start sharing it again, which I am as well. Because 
there's a lot of people that have contacted me. Uh, there's another twin. She's in her twenties. She contacted me. She said she was having it done. So in that sense, it's helped a lot of young people mm. in the Asian community, especially to be brave about their condition. Yeah. As a charity, the British Heart Foundation depends on the generosity of donors to continue carrying out a life-saving research. Thank you to all those who already give. It's truly appreciated. If you too would like to donate, you can do so by going to bhf.org.uk slash donate. And now, back to the conversation. And going back to your internal defibrillator, I've read maybe in an article about you online that when you had your defibrillator fitted, you said, my son asked me if I needed it because he thought that you'd lost power. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you tell me about that and how, you, how your that. kids... Yeah. I remember that. So um, when I came back from my defibrillator, as as after the operation, as anyone would be the same, I was very weak. Um, mm. as, I think my dad was grabbing me and he put me on the sofa. And because I was in a lot of pain, I just like leaned for the sofa and he came running up to me and I said, please don't climb on me now. I'm not ready to pick you yet. Mm. And he said, well, mom, have you lost your powers? Uh, that's why he did. I was like, yeah, something like that. But yeah, it was very cute of him. Kids, kids think differently. And obviously I know that me being ill probably took a toll on them as well. Because with Abdullah, he's always like, he wants me always in his sight. He doesn't mm. want me out of his sight. He's very protective like that, I'd say. Like he wouldn't go and stay at his grandparents now where first before that he would. Mm. So it has taken a toll on him as well. Now, if I do go into hospital, I don't tell my kids that I'm in hospital. I just say, you know, I'm going, I'm going to work or I've been at work and it just took me longer to get back. Okay. All right. Yeah. How old are your kids? Six and five, yeah. Okay. And they have been tested for this HCM gene. Um, <sighs> can you talk about that testing and, and what the situation is now regarding their health? They've seen the cardiologist at Children's. Nothing yet has been diagnosed. But with a similar situation with my cousins, where they weren't diagnosed when they were younger, is when they hit the teen days when mm-hmm. they got diagnosed. So that's something that we got to keep an eye on it. And I do keep an eye on them. I've told the teachers as well, just, you know, keep an eye on them. There's a possible, you know, chance that they could have this condition. Mm. So we just see how it goes. Um, and they are getting tested every couple of years. So let's mm-hmm. see. And if Abdullah or Aisha do have the condition, how do you think you'll talk to them about it? I think I'm going to make them very strong and explain how, you know, mom's had it and you've seen mom live a normal life and that's how you're going to live a normal life. And, you know, it's it's nothing to worry about. It's just something to adjust to and, you know, live with it. And I think I'd make them really brave about it. Mm. Yeah. And just jumping back a little bit, can you tell me about your older brother Bilal who passed away from the condition when he was 26? Yeah, so Bilal was 26. He had the condition as well. It was He used to live in London. So after work, he went out for a meal with his work colleagues. They came out the restaurant and they pressed the traffic lights uh, ready to cross the road. And that's when Bilal just, that's what they mentioned, the friends mentioned that he just collapsed. And one of them said he grabbed him and like sort of placed his head on his lap whilst he was falling. Mm. And then obviously they called the paramedics, but that instant is when Bilal uh, passed away. And mm. that really took a um, toll on all of us. You know, we couldn't believe it. I remember dad calling me and saying, well, Bilal's ill. Um, 
And I was like, well, if it's ill, why are you, why are you traveling to London? Like, you know, oh no, we'll bring him here tomorrow. And I was like, what are you on about? What If he's ill, he's in hospital. How are you going to bring him to Birmingham? You're not making sense. And at that point, I knew something was wrong. Um, mm. I I went to I went to my nan's instantly because I thought no there's something wrong here and when I went there there was so many people gathered and everyone was crying and I, I remember I grabbed onto my younger brother and I would just kept saying saying no this is not true it's not true mm. but yeah it was true and he was recently married as well you yeah say. he was he was I think married for nearly not even a year. Yeah, he was nearly married. I remember, you know, we were preparing for his wedding and all of a sudden, you know, Blah's no more. Yeah. Um, mm. We were very close because I remember after mom dying, he was really, really supportive. He was like a mother. I could tell him everything and anything. Yeah. And it was at that moment you thought that you needed to talk about your own condition and be more public with your health. Yeah. Yeah. That's when I thought, you know, that's when the doctors obviously they were aware of Barbara's condition. Then they they gave me a defibrillator appointment ASAP. For he passed away in September on the twenty seventh, and they gave the appointment for February. Mm. So after having the defibrillator and just after losing Bilal, I thought, you know, I'm gonna come public and share my experience and, you know, just but it was other people sharing their experience and it was quite comforting as well, mm. knowing that. When you go through something hard, you think it's only you going through something hard, something bad, but there's a lot of people that are going through similar situations and it actually gives you strength. Hmm. Yeah. And you said that after that, when the phone would call at night time, you, you... I'd get frightened. I'd, hmm. I'd always think, you know, something bad's about to happen because, you know, it came as a shock, a really bad shock because it was you know what if someone else passed away because a lot of our family members are diagnosed like my auntie and her children are diagnosed with a similar condition so it's frightening mm. and Thanith can you tell me about your work as a uh, Instagram influencer you're you're quite a prolific uh, can I say social media identity in Birmingham mm. with 21,000 followers yeah. um, and can you tell me about your your work there and how that interacts with your support of the BHF yeah, so I, I'm by profession I do makeup, so that's something that I promote um on my Instagram, um, and then it's British Heart Foundation, the charity, and the sharing the links, um, so it's just a bit of a bit of everything. I don't I don't like it. my page is not towards like going towards one thing. It's just mm. sharing a bit of everything, you know, sharing a bit of daily life, maybe sometimes the kids, um, but you know. With British Heart Foundation, when I started posting stuff for them, it was a lot um, of other people were getting in contact. In that sense, it's given other people, you know, this platform when they can read the articles or posting links and stuff, they can uh, read the articles and it gives them support as well. Mm. Yeah. Well, we're grateful that we can feed off some of your popularity, Thanieth. Yeah. Um, we're cool by association. <laughs> <laughs> and for other people out there that, uh, who, who may listen to this, who have been diagnosed with a similar condition, be that mm -hmm. um, a genetic condition or otherwise, what thoughts or advice and words might you have for them? I'd say, you know, be brave. You'll have your days. I have my days as well when I just, just um, my blood pressure is lo so low and I can't cope anymore with the day. And I, I, I take that day off and I give it to myself and I rest and always listen to your body. Mm. If you feel there's something wrong, you take action. But I'd say be brave 
and you know be brave about your condition because either you're going to break or you're going to be brave and just think positive I think thinking positive really changes changes your mindset if you're going to think you're ill you're going to feel even more ill because I've been through that I've done that but Mm. when you think you're better and you can pass through this you'd get better Mm. and when you are having a a down or bad day what internal conversation might you have with yourself to pull yourself into a in a more optimistic yeah. mindset yeah. i do have days where i don't even want to get out of bed we're human you know everything hits hard back you know everything that you've been through in life affects you it still does some days and i, I just give myself that time and that day to myself it's it's fully me i'll do things that i like doing and then the next day i'll be back ready to face the world again mm. yeah and you're 27 now? I am, yeah. Getting old. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be silly, Thania. <laughs> well and truly 27 years young. Yeah. And uh, your health now, you, you mentioned you manage it well and you're feeling pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I do feel good. Since I've had the defibrillator, I've not been in hospital that much. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So the doctor said eventually you realise when it's, a bad chest pain that you need to get into hospital and then you'll realize this is just the chest pain that's related to my condition so mm-hmm. since i've had that it's, since i've had it and they've given me a monitor so when i do have oh i've got a chest pain i'll send the reading over to say no tanya it's just that normal chest pain related to the condition so it saves me a lot of trips from going to hospital but i do generally feel better Okay. And I feel more secure and safe with having a defibrillator. Mm. Has that defib ever uh, shocked you? Not yet. Only when they tested it in the hospital and it was horrible. <laughs> what did that feel like? Ooh, I, oh, my God. It was like a really, really strong punch in your chest. And I felt like my body just went up and down. Mm. It, it was horrible. And I'm not looking forward to that. But <laughs> we'll take that step when we get there. <laughs> you didn't want another test? No. <laughs> It worked. No, yeah, it worked. My goodness, did it wind you? Did you? Were you breathless? They told me that they will put my heart into a bad rhythm just mm. to test it out. So they did that, and I remember asking the doctor, "Well, well, what if I don't get better from the bad rhythm?" He was like, "Just trust us." And then when they did that, it hit, and yeah, it was My horrible. Goodness. It sounds like supervised torture. <laughs> I do, I do not want it again, but oh, all for your benefit, of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And um, it I don't saves wanna, your life. <laughs> yes, I don't want to begrudge the, the medical pro- the professionals who are doing this uh, to keep you going and making yeah. sure you're fine. Well, um, Thania, thank you very much for sharing your story, and thank you for all you do for the British Heart Foundation. It's greatly appreciated. That's fine. Thank you. About one in five hundred people in the UK live with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, or HCM. Most people with the condition have few, if any, symptoms and can live a normal life. As Thanieth's story shows, it's an inherited heart disease where the wall of the heart becomes thickened, which can make the heart muscle stiff. This can make it more difficult for your heart to pump blood out of your heart and around your body. Each child of someone with HCM has a 50% chance of inheriting their condition. The BHF's research has helped scientists to better understand hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Bill McKenna and BHF Professor Hugh Watkins, for instance, identified a faulty gene that causes HCM. You'll find more information on our research in the episode notes, as well as details on what the BHF is doing to expand genetic testing so that it becomes available for all relatives of those affected by hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. If you've got questions or concerns about your heart or circulatory health, 
Call the BHF's Heart Helpline to speak with a nurse between 9 to 5 on Monday to Fridays on 0300 330 3311 or email hearthelpline at bhf.org.uk. And if you've got your own heart story or have any thoughts, good, bad or in the middle, on this episode, get in touch with us at theTickerTapes at bhf.org.uk. See you next time on The Ticker Tapes.